Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, Tom Kerridge here on the BBC Good Food Podcast. This week I'm speaking to my friend Mersal Saig of Q Point about her favourite dish. Now, Kabuli Pilau is how I would say it, but how would you say it? Kabuli. Kabuli. Pilau. Pilau. Okay, Kabuli Pilau. Now, in my head, I'm going, that's going to be about rice. And you'll tell us a little bit more about it later. But Mersal, let me tell you a little bit about her story, was born in Kabul in Afghanistan. And at only a few weeks old, her family were forced to evacuate their home and give it up to members of the Taliban during the 1990s civil war. Mersal's family made their way to Mumbai, India, and then later to Hackney in London. Now, I've got to be honest, I've known Mersal for a few years now, and she is one of the most incredible, amazing people I've ever met, like in the world of food. Um, Mersal, you've got an incredibly fascinating life story and philosophy to share. Can you tell us a little bit more? I can. I mean, wow, what an introduction. (laughs) Um, I guess very much when you are displaced so often, you can't really call Kabul your home you can't call Mumbai your home you can't really call London your home and for so much of your life you're like ah where am I very 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 confused and where you belong what your identity is that as I've grown older and actually moving into food and moving into this business has helped me really find my identity and go oh I'm not this this or this I'm all of these so how did you get (laughs) how did you get into food how did that all tie in together then I got into food um, uh, a bit accidentally because, you know, you hear this thing of everyone trying to do internships in London and this. Well, you, to, to afford an internship, you need a certain amount of money uh, to be able to do that. Rent, bills, and it's not very socioeconomically friendly to do internships. So during the internship, didn't come from a very wealthy background, you see. So um, I'd work at this this market, um, street food market. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And so much about the street food scene. But then when I invited my own family or other people from the borough that were very diverse, they couldn't eat anywhere. And they couldn't drink very much besides the basics. And it was already very expensive for them to get in. And it just kind of showed me, I was like, wow, like food is so amazing. So bringing everyone together. It's this amazing integrated experience of all these identities. And yet, 
there are spaces that don't fully embrace the multi-pronged way to do that. They just kind of go, oh, this is a great dish. Let me put it here. And then, and you're like, no, 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 we shouldn't be looking at it with such a small focus. We should go, how can we open up this incredibly that looks cultural space to cultural people and integrate them all together? And I think that's what, that's when it kind of really started for me. And then that's how my identity of who am I? Am I Afghan? Am I this? Well, with Q-Point, it was like, I'm British Afghan. <laughs> I love ketchup and Afghan chutney. And I like to mix them. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> so you, you mentioned Q-Point there. That's, that's your kind of like your setup, your restaurant or your base, which isn't entirely necessarily a restaurant. Tell us just a little bit about it and and, and how you, because you were studying political history at university. Okay. And then there must have been this pivotal moment where you decided that that's not where you want to go. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. Food is what I love doing. How do I put it all together? That's the most fascinating fascinating thing. I didn't realize how much my political philosophy and political history degree would come into Q-Point in so much in like actually meeting you. A lot of what you've seen me on stage and talking is the postmodern aspects of literally like how, how to take something, a symbol that is so representative and turn it on its head, mix it around a little bit and create something else. It's why the British flag is always stuck to the Afghan flag. It's why I wear the poppy and try and get more racialized communities to understand that the poppy doesn't just represent this one war or these two wars or this. It represents all the wars and all of the loss. And I think that that way you kind of really learn that people are segregating because they are like, this is yours, this is yours, this is this country, this is this, this is this food. But what if we were to mesh it all up, not call it fusion, but literally go, nah, you know, we're in a world that's ever-changing, constant immigration, constant change of population. Why don't we start with something like food that everybody needs to have? Yes, you've got the very fancy food and the this and that and that, but it's actually a human basic need. And if it's a human basic need, can't we start here and go, okay, well, we all want to eat food. We all need to eat food. How can we make it that we can all enjoy eating this food together? What's stopping us there? What's stopping us from understanding that these people are welcome here and not here? Is it marketing? How can we change that in food? And then go through all of the departments of food and go, well, where is it that people are feeling like they can't come in here, that they can't eat in here, that they can't create this, the word authentic, that I hate. So you've you've mentioned the food there, and you say, but what is the sort of food that you serve? Okay, because oh, right. we're, so we're we're in you know we're we're very fortunate that right now we're sat in the middle of London, and and it's one of the most diverse and culturally um, creative and um, embracing cultures, particularly for food cultures. Like everybody wants to eat. You can eat out in so many different styles and so many different types of food. But what sort of food is it? You were talking there about ketchup and, yeah. and, and, and just the merging it and, and Afghan. And a, a bit base level kind of foods and understanding and then mixing it with, well, I mean, I know you do a lot of smoking, Josh, yeah. your head chef. Like, how, how have you combined those sort of two things together? Well, he's he's very British. He's of mixed heritage, but he did not grow up with that other heritage. So he very much grew up with his English, British identity. Family come from World War II veterans. Beef dripping on toast was his granddad's favorite thing, and it was on our first menu. I you love know, that. like you don't really have a, a restaurant site as such, do you? You try to reach out and b- b- into the community in a much in a slightly different way. T- talk talk to me. Tell me how you do it. Uh, what through our Two um, Point Kitchen? Exactly. Yeah. So um, uh, we run a social impact arm uh, called Q Point Kitchen that tries to help racialized 
individuals and majorities, not minorities, in the industry grow their generational wealth through like English language acquisition, financial management, business de- development. Some of our chefs are now, um, Shay wants to start our own little projects. So we're like moving into that. And for us, it's really important to create the network, access these individuals and help them see that the reason perhaps that they might be struggling is due to systemic issues that are easily fixable that there's a game and these are the rules. And sometimes because we lack generational wealth, we don't know the rules. Um, And I think for me, just seeing the growth and the fact that, yeah, we do this amazing food and I love it, but we go around consulting people and teaching different people how to be more inclusive. So you've very much found yourself now as a bit of a leader of of a a band of people that are (laughs) putting things together through food and trying to reach out to communities. But what was the sort of food that you ate when you were growing up? Because obviously you've moved around then moving from Afghanistan moving to India and then to Hackney what was the food like (laughs) that you were eating as a youngster? Afghan food the Kabli the Kabli Palau is our quintessential fancy jeweled meat like amazing dish so you would only get that maybe once every two weeks or if guests were coming. Um, Lubyo, which Attila uh, has in his book, which is a very simple, it's the poor man's pulse dish. It's my favourite dish. It's one of my favourite, favourite dishes. It's literally three ingredients. And what are they? Uh, Red kidney beans, onions, fresh garlic, red kidney beans. The sauce of the red kidney bean is so important. And then everything else is just seasoned. It's all about the seasoning of just this simple thing. And it's great because it's really good for people that couldn't afford a lot of meat. It's got a lot of pulse. We have a lot of pulse and it's a vegan dish. And it's quite (laughs) high in protein. So 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 red kidney beans are actually really high in protein. So where you wouldn't normally normally associate proteins as coming from from animal product, actually, the the pulse is very filling. So filling and so And if you look at it, because of the different socioeconomic backgrounds of the provinces, you see a lot of these, the Burani Bonjon that you've seen a lot of that's you know a big dish but that's the more fancy that's a very fancy vegan what is dish. that what? that is the um borani means like low and slow and bonjon means aubergine um and it's like a low and slow aubergine dish that has every array of spices garlic tomato and it's served beautifully it's the it's the look the aesthetic of afghan food's really important it yeah. needs to look like different jewels like and that one has the yogurt at the bottom and then on the top the dried mint we serve it as you've seen slightly differently because we're british afghan yeah. <laughs> so we've added some crispy onions we've got rid of the uh, yogurt and made it a vegan sauce uh, um <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit Hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. Textually as well, though, it's very clever and the spicing and the flavouring that's come through. Now, I've, se- I've seen that at uh, food festivals that you've been working on and, and being busy throughout the summer, spreading the name and, and showing what you do. But 
where you come to those cooking processes, do you leave a lot of that in the hands of Josh or is Josh's then um, understanding of Afghan cookery come through you? Is your, so you as a cook. So who taught you to cook? Is that mom. something? Mum. Mum. Mum, mum is, is incredible. Mum is a chef of... What is amazing about... And not just mum, aunt. So every different... Out of the, the women um, in my family, the cooks, the chefs, um, everyone has what they'd say they do the best of. So when it comes to the Kobli Palau, that's a big, long process. My aunt is declared to do the best brown sauce for it, which is the, the what gives it the flavour, the jeera, the ginger, everything that's cooked off with the meat. That so then, what's a brown sauce? Because in my end, a brown sauce... <laughs> It's a squeezy bottle like ketchup. <laughs> I know, so, I know. So, so what, is, what is the brown sauce? You call it the caramelization. So, you know, you've got a normal white rice. The cobbly is different. So separately, after you've cooked your meat juices in the pressure cooker, there's a bunch of juice, there's that, that meat that you want. Well, listen, let's, why don't yeah. we get onto it? Yeah. Why, don't you tell, <laughs> why don't you tell us the full process of the carboli palau, right? So exactly what it is, uh, what it represents, why it's so special to you, and what are the, how are the ingredients put together? What's the cooking process? So why it's so special, the carboli may represent cobble. But in Iran, we have a very similar. They have a very similar dish, and in um, Syria, in Lebanon, in Iraq, this bejeweled rice is a staple to so many Middle Eastern dishes. And to Afghanistan, it's the kobli. And for a country that has 123 different dialects and tribes and is constantly at civil war because of that, to have one unifying thing is a big deal for us. To have the different tribes all go. No, no, we're all on board with the cobbly. You're like, but it shares the name of the name. Oh, you guys are good. So for me, it's like, wow, if it comes to food history, this is a historical, important dish. And everyone has a different way. You can tell which tribe they are if they make a more caramelized brown sauce, if they make it more meat heavy. So it's, yeah, it's really indicative of identity. So what are the, what are the key ingredients? Talk us through as if it's a recipe. <laughs> what, what would I need to start off with? So do you want very exact, like, measurements? No, don't give Don't give away, like, like historic <laughs> family secrets here, mate. You just, I mean, you can if you want. But te- <laughs> tell us the key process of the Sorry, ingredients. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you need lamb. You've got, so the, the, the main process, it's, it's a bejeweled rice with meat. It's not a biryani. The lamb is cooked separately. And it's like you have to get to the bottom to get to it. And you're like, oh, wow. So is um, it a slow cooked lamb? Dish? Slow cooked lamb. A pressure cooker would be best. Like, and that's why with us, our brisket and these work really well with a cobbly. Even though it's completely alien, you wouldn't have a smoked meat. You'd have a pressure cooked lamb. But we do these other things, so it works really well. And then you, it's the process of the rice. The chefs were all watching us like, I've never seen rice be steamed. What is your mum doing? Atul was coming over like, what is she doing? <laughs> like, what is going on? And I'm like, she, well, she drains her rice and then after you drain it, you steam it on a low heat um, and you have to wash your rice. You don't want that horrible starchiness. We usually do it the night before, but we didn't have enough time. So wash the rice. If you get that nasty cloudy water when you put it in, you haven't washed it for long enough. That's going to ruin the whole... So you need to get rid of all the starches from the the rice, completely washed, completely washed. So what have you got? You've got this cooking process of lamb. Is that marinated at all? Is it Slightly marinated. Uh, Yeah, yeah, definitely. But you don't want your lamb to be as intense as your other lamb dishes because the cobbly and the flavor of the brown of the lamb is going to be all over the rice. So it's almost like literally steamed lamb. Do you know what I mean? Okay, so not too powerful. And what cut are we using? Are we using shoulder or leg or or breast of lamb? Shoulder best. 
best because yep. it's nice and fatty and it's got those little bits and yeah, like that's definitely into nice little fat chunks because you don't want giant bits, but you don't want these little bits that will dry up. And do you roast it and fry it off first, get some colour on it? Or do definitely, you definitely, definitely. Okay. You've got a few onions in there with the lamb. Yeah. Little bit of garlic after that. You definitely roast it off, give it some colour, throw in all your array of cumin, afganjira, ginger, spice, like paprika, cayenne, everything. <laughs> but not, um, no, you're, t- you're talking a spice here, and that's not spice as in hot. No. It's not no, like no, burning your mouth aroma, hot. No. This is This is floral, this is fragrant, this is, this is exciting, this is a rainbow collection of flavours that are coming in, but not something that's like blows your head off hot. Afghan cooking is not spicy. They can't handle it. We literally can't. We're like, ah. So we've got even our Afghan chutney when other um, South Asians in particular are like, what is this? And you're like, oh, it's, it's very garlicky and very herby and there's a few green chilies. We can't stand a lot of hot, but we're aromatic. Yeah. And that's why Josh li- really likes learning about Afghan cooking because he also cannot handle hot. So he's like, ah, aromatics. But also easy. there's so many different flavors you can pull, particularly when, you you know, from, from your point of view, you do a lot of smoking. You want that smoky flavor. You want those kind of aromats yeah. to sing through yeah. rather than being overpowered by spice. So you, so you cook the onions, the garlic, the lamb off, then you put in all the spices, then do you cover it with a... You just pressure cook that, that separate now that's right. cooking that's you leave cooking. it on a low <laughs> now you've moved into your water the water's boiled the oil is mixed in with the water and then you throw your ice in yep you need to watch this part the most as it's boiling it needs to not be cooked because it's going to get steamed after this so if it's totally cooked when it gets steamed it will turn into what you call a shola which is a wet rice which is very famous in Afghanistan but not what we're trying to make and people make fun of people when their cobbly is not perfect they're like oh you made a shola you're like no no don't be rude. Like, I did not. Uh, um, so this is the part where four or five minutes, it should be just breakable. Then you drain it. After draining it in a colander, put it back in the tub on a very low heat. And then you get some towels. This is the bit that was really fun in the kitchen. Like, Mum was just getting towels. And you... um lift your lid and you cover the lid with the towels and then you pop it straight back on just to allow it to steam properly. Josh kept trying to give my mum cling film. She was like, keep your cling film away from me. I don't want this cling film or your special steam. I want to do it my way. So the heat of the rice where you first cooked it in that boiling water and oil, drained, then wrapped in a towel and just no extra liquid in it, just the actual heat of that rice is then continuing to steam. Literally on a very low heat. And while we do that, typically I really should have fried off my um, carrots and sultanas, not raisins, as we found. (laughs) Sultanas, everybody. (laughs) Um, Because they're very, very important in the difference. And this is what's bizarre is because it's quite a quintessentially British thing, but it's the most Afghan thing as well. Um, And you have to fry them off. Don't grate your carrots. Again, the chefs are trying to mandolin. No, because they get greasy. You need thick, like rectangular little half a finger um, carrots. Yeah, chunks. So they can caramelize rather than oil up. Caramelize them, caramelize the sultanas, put them away, don't mix them. So that's a layer of sweetness that comes in there. They're dried fruit and the carrots have this beautiful sweetness. And they're both caramelized. So they're a bit like they've got that real sweetness. So you're cooking those sugars. Lovely. And then letting them dry on a nap, little paper towel while that's getting done. Then you start on the pierce de resistance, which is the brown sauce. Okay. So this, this is the bit I'm really interested in what, is, what what is the brand so i'll sauce? be honest as we've come to england uh, my mum has changed some of her things and one of her favorite what? things she's uh, changed a, a handed down recipe she says this thing that she found in england is the best thing and you're going to laugh when you find out what it is is the best thing that has made the best cobbly brown sauce she has ever seen josh was like gravy browning 
And I was like, no. Yeah, she had it in a little plastic bag so no one could see. It's so special, so special. But so typically it's a mixture. You use soya sauce as well, but soya sauce, gravy browning, Afghan jeera, ginger, cumin, the typical spices, cook them off. Um, I don't know what the name of the little star cloves are. Star anise? Probably. Star anise or cloves? <laughs> cloves. Or, uh, yeah, cloves. Yeah. I mean, Fry like, me with them off. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Really powerful in flavour. Very yeah, yeah, powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. You yeah. don't want a lot. You want no, like, that'll be a clove. Yeah, yeah. You go, tiny. Go, you've got to go gentle on them because they're so punchy. And then removed as soon as they, you don't want it in the rice as no. well, those cloves. No, because that'll so, crack your teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't don't crack your teeth. Them. You don't want to eat them. Okay, so the brine sauce, the secret ingredient to it is and gravy brine. And then you take the meat and the meat juice is added to that brown sauce. That's all mixed around, cooked slightly. So again, it's got a very light, light cook on it. So like this is the point there where that meat now starts taking on the flavour separately from the brown sauce. Okay, That's it. So well, we know the meat separated. We've taken it and we put it away and we've taken all its sauce and we've mixed it into our other brown sauce. And then you add a bit oh, of... So you've still got the meat to oh, one yeah, side. Oh, yeah, the meat is separate. So all the resting juices that have come from the meat we have now that. gone into the sauce. So you're creating this beautiful sauce. Exactly. So we've got three things here. We've got the drained meat, we've got the sauce, and then we've got the rice. Okay. Exactly. And obviously the carrots and the raisins on the side as well. Everything's waiting because this is the bejeweled thing. It's plated very specifically. Okay. It's very specific. And when this is done, obviously a hell of a lot of oil. Then this is the moment where you're like, it's about to be plated, guys, which is like when the cobbly is plated, everyone must be seated because the phrase in Afghanistan, don't let the cobbly go cold. You know, like, okay. that's like move run. So as soon as you add the brown sauce into the rice and mix it, then you get your giant tray for service. The meat goes at the bottom. Yeah. The rice goes at the top. Yeah. Then the carrots. Don't ever mix. It's not a biryani. Okay. Then the carrots. Then the raisins. Then you use a wooden spoon and you just make a few um, little holes. Yeah. For kind of just like, because it's very, very hot and the meat will be incredibly hot just to let it breathe a bit. Then you put it on the table and they run. Okay. And that's and a cobbly. Everyone helps themselves. Yeah. I love that. So, I mean, there must be twists and variations from, like you were saying, there was oh, yeah. 120 different tribes. Was yeah, like, yeah. So so there must be various twists. Massively. And, and the way that the flavours come through and it's more aromatic in some spices one way or a different way Massively. of cooking. But actually... It always As looks the same. It always looks the same. So in Khorbant so, in, in northern Afghanistan, they'll probably have completely, they have some of the best fruits and veg in the world. They will have different things that they use. They will probably maybe not even steam the rice. They will do different things. It will be a different texture, but it will always look like a cobbly. We know what a cobbly looks like. You can identify it. And when Asians have so many rice dishes and you people don't know that this is Iran, this is Afghanistan, this is that. When you see that symbology, you're like, that's Afghanistan. That's a cobbly palau. Ah, that's a uh, vermicelli from Le Lebanon. This is this from that. It's important to us that these symbols are created, but then adapted to people's flavors. That way they can get, you know. So merged. do you think, I mean, that's obviously evolved over hundreds of years historically through Afghanistan. But now there's uh, yourself and many other Afghan settlers here in the UK. Do you think the Kabali will evolve and adapt into being having like UK versions of it? Absolutely. Has it already? And I look forward to that. There are many people... Are you going to be um, the pioneer? I of it? want to be. I, I mean, I've called it the London Cobbly Palau. You'll see that across things, and they're like the what? I'm like the London Cobbly Palau. And what's the difference? And what do you do that that, that makes it any different? Guess, caramelised onions. <laughs> so it sounds like you you serve it for 
big family occasions and it's the sort of thing that you put together in the middle of the table. Would you yeah. ever do it though for just like three or four friends coming over? Is it the sort of thing that you would do just for a hangout? Six to seven. I would okay. never do it for, if it was smaller than that, you've got to take the pressure cooker out, you've got to take the big, and if you make your rice in a small one, it's not going to be very good anyway. And what about leftovers? Is there a way of using leftovers? Oh, what can yeah. you do with it? Oh my God, my favourite thing that I learned here. So I love Chinese food. I love, 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 love Chinese food and I love to take a cobbly. So was that not something that, <laughs> I mean, that's not anything that you would have come across then in Afghanistan or in or in India? Was Weirdly, it? you would. So in Afghanistan, one of our biggest tribes is the Azora tribe. And the Azora tribe is one of the oldest tribes of Afghanistan because it's the reason we have Buddhism and the reason that, you know, the, that, that religion of Buddhism was the very first. Um, it's a, a East Mongolian, Mongolian-based tribe. They look very much East Asian as well, but they are the oldest, most amazing, incredible tribe of Afghanistan, yet targeted for the very fact that they have that ancestry. Their food, um, the Afghan dumplings, very similar to what a dumpling that you'd have in, in East Asia. Like a dim sum. Yeah, soya sauce, yeah. a big thing in Afghan cooking. A, a lot of East Asian, because of our Mongolian brothers and then them actually being part and integral to our entire nation, we have a lot of dishes that are weirdly reminiscent like, of, of East Asian cooking. Okay. Uh, the Oshak, we make a great noodle dish. Yeah, I mean, uh, I interrupted <laughs> you then, but you were saying about how um, the uh, the Chinese <laughs> influence for your leftovers, uh, for, for your carbally. Egg fried. Cobbly palau. Ever I cobbly palau. Like, I literally, like, there's so many things you could do with rice. Yeah, it's delicious. You could just have it again or whatever. But I love that my mum makes so many different variations of rice that just like heightening it. And making it this delicious egg fried dish with then like chili flakes and just taking the Afghan chutney and turning that into its own sauce. You don't need anything else. You know, most people will literally, and in Lebanon... So at this point, are you mixing the rice up? At this point, yeah. you've got the mix up. You've I'm got mixing the raisin, it. I've chopped all my meat because I've only got a little up. bit of meat. So okay. I'm like, cool, I'm going to fry that up. Get the rice up, egg, mix it all. If I need to add some soy fresh, sauce, little bit, yeah, little bit of soy, so much little soy. bit of chili. So you take it I into love chili this oil next as well. one. I mean, that sounds. I mean, to be honest, that sounds incredible, is it? it and is, then the raisins it? and carrots get even extra crispy, and you're like, "This is amazing!" Like, I love my egg fried rice. I mean, egg fried cobbly rice. Honestly, that dish sounds absolutely fantastic. And it, it, is that friends, family? Sunday lunch? Is it a Sunday, Sunday lunch special? That's a Sunday lunch special. That's okay. where the British, that dish that I've been telling you about, the British Afghan roast and so many different people have never seen a, a half a Sunday roast and then a, a rice dish and this together. And we're like, here you go. They love it. They're um, like, I've never thought that a Sunday roast would go with rice. You're like, I oh, know, but it does, doesn't it? It goes really well. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then any leftovers can turn it. You can it's sprinkle some chili flakes on it and egg fry it. It sounds amazing. Very right. adaptable. I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions and it's got to be the first answer that pops into your head. Are you ready? Ready. What is your most well-thumbed and looked at cookery book? Motherland, Melissa Thompson. Great book. Melissa's food's amazing. Incredible. Uh, what about what music do you cook to? Oh, that's interesting. Country and R&B. Country. I, Recently. Honestly, uh, Luke uh, Combs, uh, recently. Honestly, that, 
I would not have gone with that being your first act. Having known you for quite a while, that is not where I'd have gone with first. However, I, you know, <laughs> you, you can't say, you surprise me every time I meet you, you go, no way. Okay. A great cheap eats restaurant, pub, or market that you like visiting? Cheap. Great cheap one. Cheap eats. Jimmer uh, Kitchen, Borough Market. Nice. Okay. And tell me something that's always in your fridge. Coffee. Okay, tell me a food that you've never tried. Donkey balls. Uh, and you'd like to try? <laughs> I don't know. They just seem to be the hot topic at the moment, don't they? Have you tried them? No, I've no. never tried it. Well, hot topic where? Where? where On TikTok. You... I don't a, want to, a, but a part a, of me. There's a massive reason why I'm not looking at TikTok all the time, <laughs> and that's just reiterated it. What's your guilty pleasure? What's the, what's the food that you love eating that maybe people wouldn't think, what is she doing eating that? Me and my friend have a thing where we go around London trying to find the best citrus desserts. And like, can we have a little rating card? So like, imagine just having a tart. I want to find the best lemon tart that London or the UK or wherever we go has to offer. So whenever we go to a patisserie, boulangerie or whatever, we'll get all of the lemon, leave everything else, just all the meringue, get me the tart, get me that weird little cake. And then we test it and we go... I'd rate that. So I've had about 10 different of this particular tart. I've had about a million of meringues. <laughs> but that's one of my guilty pleasures. So listen, one last question. What makes you optimistic for the future? What makes me optimistic for the future? Such a big question. I am very optimistic for the future. I think because of the the really positive changing nature of the entire industry, uh, uh, the industry that I love, when things must go absolutely down, they need to go this economically, this down to go right back up. And my favorite people are the ones that take chaos and take these difficult times and adapt. And then you get some of the most innovative, creative, incredible businesses, people, individuals that come out of some of the most tumultuous, horrible, destructive periods of time. And people like myself that were born in wars and displacement, we're actually made for chaos. We're more comfortable in times like this. We're like, oh, then when everything's fine and you're like, why am I happy? Why is nothing happening? Like, <laughs> so it's actually yeah, weirdly, weirdly positive about 2023. Oh, mate. Well, it's, I honestly, I, I, want to, I just want to say a massive thank you. It's been an, a huge pleasure to talk to you. And you really are one of the most genuinely incredible um, people in the food industry I've met because it's not just about the food. You've got such a, a, a much deeper reaching self-worth that goes out into communities and spaces and not for a single minute has it been about making money. It's about making people's lives better and creating <laughs> money and opportunities for charitable foundations and doing so much and spreading the word of incredible food and cookery. So, Marissa, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and I can't wait to hear your recipe for... Cobbly Palau. Cobbly Palau. <laughs> and it is, I mean, honestly, it sounds fantastic. Marissa, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been amazing. Guys, thank you so much for listening and please don't forget you can listen to the bonus cook-along recipe. For more details, see bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast. See you next time. Bye. Bye. 